when I was in high school, I had a pretty foul mouth on me. I, uh, you know, I talked like most of my friends, and most of my friends talked, uh, and it's pretty rough. And so, um, after I became a Christian, I still talked like all my friends, and I still had the same kind of mouth on me uh, that I did always did. And so, if there's a curse word, I have said it. If there's a dirty joke, I have heard it, and probably told it, repeated it, and laughed at it. Um, and I knew enough, though, not to like cuss around my parents. You know, you don't want to get smacked, right? Anybody's pretty mostly smart enough for that. Um, and so that translated into don't cuss in front of adults. So I didn't, you don't want to get detention at school. So I didn't, you know, cuss at school, uh, in class or anything. And then that just kind of, again, bled out to just adults in general are off limits because somehow my mom would find out and I'd end up getting smacked. And uh, so that just meant when I go to church, you never would say bad things. I would keep my mouth uh, in check. And it never occurred to me, though, even though I knew, okay, don't cuss around adults, it never occurred to me that maybe foul language and my faith didn't always go together. Uh, again, when you're a new Christian, a lot of that stuff is, is so new to us and new to uh, the way, uh, just a different way of life that we aren't used to. And so um, I remember one night after youth group, a couple of us were kind of lingering around, just kind of talking, hanging out, and it was getting close to time to leave, and my friend Nathan, his mom had kind of wandered in just to kind of say, hey, come on, it's time to go, and about that time, um, Nathan picks up the lid of a cooler. Someone had brought some food for youth group in one of those styrofoam coolers, you know, they're like two bucks or something at Walmart, and so Nathan, somebody made some joke at Nathan's expense, and he picks up the lid of that and just breaks it over this kid's back. And all Nathan's mom sees, she walks in and sees her son hitting another kid and breaking someone else's property. And she just, without even thinking, just goes, Nathan, you little, and insert whatever word you like, it really doesn't make a lot of difference. And then, but and she really, and immediately she realizes what she said, where she said it, and who she said it in front of. And she just is like, oh no. And I remember the hand on the hip, hands over the eyes, and her, she just shakes her head. Well, all of us sitting there, we lost it. Like, we thought it was the funniest thing we'd ever heard. Like, your mom cursed in church. That's, that, you're not supposed to do that. And we kind of all just laughed and, and thought it was all funny. Because, you know, you had a mom who occasionally went on some of the youth group trips and was our sponsor. And, you know, for the most part, I'd never heard her cursed before. And she cursed in church. It slipped out, which kind of said, okay, it's okay to talk that way just as long as you really don't do it in church. You know, you got to mind your social parameters. And, and pretty much that's okay. And it just never occurred to me that maybe faith and certain language, certain jokes, certain ways of speaking didn't go together. And so when I finally did decide to kind of clean up how I would talk, it had nothing to do with church, had nothing to do with faith. It was actually because I started dating a girl and she said, you know, I just really don't like how filthy you talk all the time. Okay, honey, baby, sweetie, whatever you say, I'll stop it, you know. And so, like any habit, it's hard to kind of, like, cut that off. But for the most part, I, I tried. And, and over the next, I don't know, year or so, I really got a lot better at, at you know, what I said and controlling my words. And, and I feel like after a while, I felt like I had a pretty good handle on how I spoke. And then um, about a year after that, I had a job as a security guard. 
security guard at a factory in my hometown because, you know, one look at my muscles and any would-be criminal would just head the other way. And I was walking through the factory on a Sunday morning, and nobody worked on the weekend, so it was totally closed down. I was the only guy in the factory, and every hour, you know, you have to do your rounds and walk through. And basically, I made sure nothing was on fire. That was my job. And I'm walking around, and it's dark. Half the lights are out. It's creepy. It's dirty. It's concrete everywhere and machinery. There are little corners and dark nooks and crannies where somebody could jump out from, I mean, all over the place. And so it's just kind of a spooky place to be. And I'm walking around, and I find out that they don't turn the lunch whistles off on the weekend, even though nobody's there. And I was walking right by one of the lunch whistles, and it, you know, it goes off. And I went, and without any thinking, a long, well-put-together string of cuss words came out of my mouth. And I, afterwards, I was like, oh, you know, you kind of shake it off. And I was like, oh, it kind of surprised me because I thought I hadn't talked that way in a while. And I was like, I thought, that, I thought that was gone. I thought I had that under control. But when I have time to filter, I could keep them in. But it turns out when I didn't have time to filter, they were still in there rattling around ready to come out at a moment's notice. And a couple weeks ago, I was in my garage, had the garage door up, and I was rinsing out a container in my garage in this utility sink that's in there, and it was kind of loud, and I did not hear Truman Scheller walk into my garage, and he was saying, Anthony, Anthony, and finally, he's about halfway into my garage, and he goes, Anthony, oh my gosh, you know, and I, it totally scared the goodness out of me. He thought it was hilarious, but I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm so glad I didn't cuss out Truman. <laughs> I was, so, like, I was so relieved that that didn't happen. And, and so he, as, that's kind of where we're going today as we get into the third week of this series, Sticks and Stones. We're talking about how we talk. Uh, we're talking about how our faith and our words intersect. And the main point of this series has for this entire uh, time been that words have tremendous power. Your words, my words, the way we speak has a huge amount of power, and I don't think the amount of words that we speak and the types of words that we speak always represent the fact that we understand that that's true. We don't always really appreciate how powerful our words can be. And so, maybe today's sermon is a little bit of a long shot. Maybe it's an uphill battle because I know how people talk. I don't have any illusions that everybody is this perfect little clean-languaged angel. I do know two things. I know people talk differently in church than they do everywhere else, and I know people talk differently around me once they know I'm a minister than they talk everywhere else. I understand that, okay? But I do know how people talk. In fact, to this day, I, every now and then I'll be here with somebody, something will happen, and a little curse word will sneak out. To this day, my reaction is, is not, <gasps> my, usually when I hear it, I'm just like, <laughs> they cursed in church. I still go back to that moment after youth group where it's still like, uh, they, they got uh, slipped out, you know. That's still kind of where I go. And so, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a long shot to enter into this topic of saying, you know, what, what should we do? When, how, do how do faith and language, faith and curse words maybe combine? How do faith and like dirty jokes, where do those two uh, intersect? What does the Bible have to say about these things? And maybe my goal today is to get you to think before you speak those types of words. And, and it might be a long shot because, you know, some of you, that's just how everyone talks at work. And the people that don't talk that way at work, like, that's just kind of, they're the weirdo. In fact, when I started cleaning up my language, even though it wasn't anything to do with church, I had a couple friends that were like, what is up with you? And it was the first and only time I ever remember somebody calling me a goody two-shoes. I was like, I don't have a clue what that means, but your tone sounds like it's not good, okay? I didn't, uh, and so 
I was like, I mean, apparently that was just weird in my group of friends, and maybe in your circle, that's a weird thing. Certain jokes, certain ways of speaking, that's just the, the culture of your workplace, of your group of friends, of where you are in life. But still, I, we have to broach this topic as we talk about the words that we use. And so where we're going to be today, if you want to grab a Bible, we'll be in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. We call it a book. It's actually a letter written by a guy named Paul to a church in Ephesus, uh, which was a city in the Roman Empire back when the Rome was still a thing. And um, so he wrote it to the Ephesian people. Now, if you uh, brought a Bible, great. If you want to use a, an app on your phone, awesome. If you don't have a Bible and you want to get one in your hands, there's a black one in the pews near you, or the verses will uh, be on the screen. But will be Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29 says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And so he says, let's go back one, unwholesome talk. And it seems kind of at first glance that what you're going to get out of this has everything to do with how you define unwholesome. Like what, what really does unwholesome mean? And when I first kind of read that and kind of started to see that faith and language intersected a little bit, when I asked, what does unwholesome mean? It was really like, what can I get away with? Like, what can I still say? Like, that was kind of my uh, desire when it came to that. So let's, uh, let's look at what unwholesome means. Uh, unwholesome. There's two definitions. One is of such poor quality to be of little or no value. And the second one is bad or wholesome, unwholesome to the extent of being harmful. So the word unwholesome can mean one or the other, or it can kind of mean both, okay? Um, the way it can mean both is think of like rotten chicken, okay? Rotten chicken was food, but now it's rotten, so it's really no good for food. It's useless. It's of no value as food. But if you do happen to eat it, it can be very harmful. That makes sense? And so it's kind of like it's useless as food, but if by chance you eat it, it's bad. So this word can kind of mean both of those things uh, mushed into one. So at the best case scenario, it means something that's worthless, of no value at all. But at the most strong sense, it means something that's actually very dangerous and harmful to us as people. So what exactly is unwholesome talk then for us? I, I thought of four different examples, okay? Here's types of unwholesome talk. The first one I came up with was using God's name or Jesus' name as a curse. I don't know where this came about, okay, but um, I, I grew up hearing it, okay. My mom runs a business, so there was always people of all different beliefs coming in and out, people who have varying degrees of, of language, you know, and I, I heard a little bit of everything growing up, you know, and I, I've heard people, you know, turning the wrench and the wrench slips and your grinds all the skin off your knuckles and Jesus Christ, and it's like, I bet, when's the last time you said Jesus? Like, when, is that the only time when there's blood coming out of your hands or when you miss the nail and hit your thumb? Is that the only time you say the name of Jesus? Well, what I have learned, though, is that when we turn someone's name into a curse, that means, one, that we have no respect for the person whose name we're turning into a curse or the person we're saying it to. It's not always, it's never a compliment, okay? Um, like, for instance, when I'm playing a game with my wife and uh, I say, you are such a rule Nazi, Okay? I don't mean that as a compliment towards her or Nazis. Like, it's not really good in any way, shape, or form. By the way, if you're going to play a game with her, you are going to play by the written rules in the box. Just so you all know before you get into a game. Just want you to know. That's why there's rules. Exactly. That's what, exactly. 
Just want you to know that fair game. But when we take Jesus' name like that, it is, it, it is a, a disrespectful term to the God of the universe. And I don't think, if there's anything I'll, I'll say about this, this one I don't think has any, any place in the life of a believer. Um, another one. Anything that is demeaning or harmful to another human being. If you are saying something for the explicit purpose of causing someone pain, of tearing them down, of telling them that they are worthless, have no place, whatever, any form of bullying would fit into this. But you know, even adults do this stuff, okay? We can be rude and crude and gossip and all of that stuff. Okay, all of that, I think, falls into this particular category. Um, and this, we talked about this in the first week, um, that the power of words is actually the power of life and death that we have the power to really actually build someone up, or we can crush someone's spirit with how we talk to them. And if you want to listen to more of that, the first week is on, online. That's about all I'm going to say about that. But, but there is no place, I don't think, for us. It is unwholesome, it is worthless, and it is dangerous to speak those types of words. Third type of unwholesome talk is any speech that invites sin. And what I mean by that is this. Anything that I say that draws my mind to a place it should not go or draws my heart to a place it should not go. I think any type of language that might be graphically sexual would fall into that category. I remember, you know, in high school, uh, you know, a girl walked by and was like, man, she is so hot. Did you see her? Whatever was the, you know, feature that we were ogling at the moment, you know. That was never a kind thing to her. That was never a respectful thing to her. And all it did was draw out and make me go to a very lustful place that I, according to God's word, am not supposed to go. And there are certain words that draw your mind to places of anger and, and lust or selfishness and pride. And if you can't say stuff without your mind going to those dark places, then they are unwholesome and dangerous to you and at, the, and, uh, at worst disrespectful and harmful to others. And then finally, there are words they're not so much demeaning or harmful. They're not so much that they invite sin or take you to a dark place. They're just kind of culturally impolite, okay? Um, for instance, there is a four-letter word for feces in our culture that is impolite. I won't say it because there's kids here. I'll try to keep it somewhat clean. Um, uh, there's not too many kids, but anyway, I'll keep, yeah. <laughs> you know, anyway, we'll say it. So, but like, for instance, that word doesn't mean anything other than, okay, feces, or we can talk about a kid having a poopy diaper, but that other word, it just seems as a little more crude, a little more harsh, a little more, you don't say that in certain places, okay? And, and it's not, and that's more of a cultural thing than anything else. That's just a matter of, for some reason, in, a, in the English language, that word has taken on a little bit heavier weight than other words forms of that stuff, okay? Um, another, there's a, several, um, <coughs> excuse me, Christian words that have taken on a kind of a curse word uh, tone in English language. One, you know, we say, we say Jesus Christ and we, you know, stub our toes or whatever. Um, another one is, is damn. Damn means actually to condemn someone to hell. It means to condemn someone to uh, a place of eternal punishment that God created for Satan and anyone who rebels against him. All right? And so we say, people say, you know, use that word, even though it has a, an actual non-vulgar meaning, they use it kind of as a way to emphasize their frustration. Okay? Um, another Christian word that's gotten used as a curse word is hell. Hell is an actual place. Again, it's the place of eternal torment for Satan and the demons and anyone who chooses to follow in that path, okay? But yet, we use it to add emphasis to our sentence. You know, people will say, boy, that was a hell of a game. 
Like, it's like, okay, why? Why was that an eternal place of punishment of a game? Like, I don't, what, like, when you really think about some of these, they don't make a lot of sense other than it's a bad word, and I just want to throw it in there for a little punch to my language, all right? And so there's words like this. They're not necessarily, you know, I mean, they're, they're just words like anything else. They have a meaning like anything else, but for some reason, according to our culture, they're seen as, okay, let's not use those in certain circles, especially church, right? And so I could... Now I could just put up here on the screen a list of words that you should not say. Say, okay, here's all the things. Don't ever say these, especially not in church. Let's pray, and we could all get out early. But I think making this just a matter of vocabulary, the words you can say, the jokes you can't, the words you can't, the words you can't, all that stuff, I think making it just a matter of vocabulary misses the entire point. If we focus just on, on, on what exactly is unwholesome talk, it misses the point. Um, it's a little legalistic, and like I said earlier, it's one of those, how much can I get away with kind of attitudes. Um, when I was a kid, my brother, uh, he, I love pestering him because there's just something genetically ingrained in brothers that you have to, and he would say, you leave me alone. And so I'd just walk up to him, and I'd put my finger about a millimeter from his eyelashes, and I'd say, I'm not touching you. You can't do anything to me. I'm not even touching you. You can't hurt me. And I'd sit there. And, but that wasn't the point. He'd say, leave me alone. Was I leaving him alone? No. Was I technically, technically leaving him alone? Yeah, right? But I was still very much a nuisance and very, very much uh, inviting a beating if my finger just barely grazed those eyelashes, okay? And so it's like I was trying I was listening to him, but that wasn't my hope. My hope wasn't to be a good brother and to not bother him. My hope was to, how much can I get away with and still be annoying? That was what I really wanted to know. And so if we just make this about words, the vocabulary, we're missing the entire point. Because what's more behind this, like everything in the New Testament, is God is more concerned about the heart behind your words than the words. And your heart will inform what words you use. And so we've got to go a little bit deeper than that. In fact, the second half of that verse we looked at, excuse me, Ephesians 4.29, the first is again, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And then we get this, okay, so instead, do this. Don't say, don't, don't use worthless talk, damaging talk. Instead, do this. It says, but only what is helpful for building who? others up, okay? Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And so it is not about us. Your words, what you say, it's not necessarily about you. Your words are about what you are saying and how you are conveying it to other people. The people you are speaking to are more important than you, the one who is speaking. And I've learned, if I've learned anything in my life, it is that anytime I want to say something that is rude or crude, vulgar, sexual, or curse out of anger or frustration, those are times where I am simply wanting to open my mouth to satisfy myself. I'm opening my mouth to satisfy some desire that is in me. Um, I have never told a dirty joke for the benefit of somebody else. I told a dirty joke because I thought, they're going to laugh at this and they will think I'm funny. It was for me. I have never talked about how hot a girl was for her benefit so that I could build her up and show her respect, or to show respect to my friends for saying that kind of stuff. No, it was because my lust was craving me, calling me to make comment on something like that. I have never been working on something and had it not go my way and cursed for the good of my children who were sit nearby and listening. 
I did that because my anger and my rage demanded that I express it, okay? Most every time I delve into that area of what might be considered unworthy talk, it's for my sake, not someone else's. And we are called to a higher standard as believers when we open our mouths. And hopefully, th- this does, should just cause you to, shouldn't just cause you to pause before you open your mouth to curse. It should cause you to pause before you open your mouth, period. To say, what am I really speaking? Am I really speaking just so I can be heard? Because I have some desire to communicate my sinful desires? Or am I actually saying something that is of benefit to the ears and the lives of the people who are listening? My words are not for me. Your words are not for you. Our words are for the benefit of other people. Now, we'll back up just a little bit to verse 20. We'll stay in chapter 4, but we'll back up to verse 20. And Paul is talking about how when we become Christians, there is a distinct change that needs to happen in our lives. You've already seen that, okay? You don't live for yourself anymore. You live for others. But when we start to follow Christ, there's a, a kind of, our life gets cut in half there, and we have an old life and a new life. And he says this. He says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so what that means, these verses are saying that we, when we become believers, there's a whole category of thoughts and actions and behaviors that need to stop so that we can learn to walk in a life that is more like God, more like Jesus. And so we read these verses, and so he says, okay, put off the old self and put on the new self. And then there's a list of things he says, here's how you do that. One of the things in that list is put off unworthy talk, unwholesome talk, and put on better language for the good of others, building other people up. And so unworthy talk is an old life thing. And for those of us who call ourselves Christians, that's something that goes away, that needs to be put out to pasture as we work daily to put on a way that is righteous and full of holiness. And so if you're a believer, it's got to be about more than just what words are okay and what words are not. This stems from a whole life change that starts in your heart, where you stop being as concerned about you and more concerned about others. Will you stop being concerned about how you can entertain the selfish, sinful, crude desires that live inside of you, and and you start living for the good of the other people around you, so you can actually build them up. That word, build them up, it's actually a construction term. It means the process of putting together a building. It's this idea that we have as Christians called discipleship, Meaning where where we as believers, we invest in other believers so that we can all be better believers. So that we can all be better followers of Jesus. And so when I say something, it should be to help you, nudge you farther along this road of being like Christ. And so as we do these things, we are to be more like Jesus and less like the selfish person that we have been before. And what this ultimately is, your speech, It's just supposed to be one more way, one more thing that you sacrifice your vocabulary, your tone, your whatever, your jokes, maybe your whole whole library of jokes. You sacrifice that 
for the good of Christ and for the good of others so that you can lead them closer to him. Because Jesus sacrificed everything for us, and so there are certain things that we should sacrifice for his cause and his glory. Jesus loved us, and so we should speak in a way that reflects his love to the people around us. A love that is full of grace and mercy and kindness. There are no times that I can see in scripture where you see Jesus ever uh, using something that is necessarily a curse. There's a few times where when you translate things literally, it's like, whoa, it's a little, it's a little punchy, it's a little bit graphic, but it's never really anything that's a curse. There's one account that I can think of in Paul that may or may not be a curse. I, we talked about it a few years ago. If anybody remembers the word scubula, it's a Greek word. It's, it means poop, but in the harshest of terms, okay? Um, th- so there's, there's, there's accounts, but it, but, it, but it was, I don't know, I won't get into that. But there, so there's e- elements of that in there, but ultimately those really, you don't see any regular patterns of speech where that is the way you and I should live our lives. And, and maybe all of that to say that it's just kind of a, an uphill battle. Maybe you could say, okay, if my, if my goal today is to get all of us to kind of think before we curse, maybe that was a long shot. I understand. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm a little bit of an optimist, but I'm also a bit of a realist, and I know how people talk. I know how our culture is, and I know how hard it is to live counter to the culture that you are in every single day. But here's my hope for you today. I just want you to take what we've learned so far in this series. Words are powerful. Words are incredibly powerful. And we are called by God to have a better handle on our words. Not just because some things are vulgar and some things aren't, but no, it's, it's more of a matter of purpose than what's crude or not crude, what's crude or acceptable. It's more of a matter of God has invited you and I into this grand purpose of saving humanity. He is wanting to share his love and share the gospel far and wide, and one of the most powerful tools he has given you and me is our mouths, and that should be used for his glory, for this purpose, for the spreading of the gospel and to just walk around talking like everybody else that is a waste of an incredible tool that our God has given you and you know what maybe sticking out a little bit at work maybe that's not a bad thing I know people who say you know once I started being a little different once I started truly living for Christ like people act differently around me and it's a little weird but when someone has trouble in life or something falls apart they want they come to me and I don't know why other than they think I'm the weird bible guy Okay. And so I've seen people, that's their story. And, and it was started because I feel weird and I stick out at work because I act a little different. Maybe that's not such a bad thing to be a little countercultural wherever you end up in life. But do not underestimate the fact that you, if you are a believer in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, he wants you to be a part of this grand plan to save the world. And that means every day when you go to work, when you're at the grocery store, when you're talking to your kids, your grandkids, someone on the phone, a friend, whatever, mom and dad, I don't know. He wants you to be a part of his plan to save the world and share Jesus as you go. And what you say with your mouth and what you type with your fingers on Facebook, that's all part of that. And we do not need to underestimate the power of our words that we can reflect the amazing, redemptive glory of Jesus. And so now we're going to take communion. And what I want to do today, we do this every now and then, but we're going to take together. And so as the plates get passed around, I want you to take, you'll find a little stack of cups, two stack cups. One's got bread in the bottom, and the other one's got juice in it. Take a stack and hold them. Don't take it. Some of you will still take it. Take it and hold it. 
And I want us to take together for a very important reason. Because we have to understand, if, as we're going to be believers, we have to understand that we are in this together. That you affect other people. Somehow we have gotten this idea in our culture that faith is a private thing. No, faith can be a personal thing, but our faith was never meant to be private. It was never meant to be only about me and nobody else. Our, our faith was meant to fill our hearts with the love and grace of Jesus so that it overflowed out and touched everybody else that we encountered. And so as we take together, I just want you to think about the fact that Jesus didn't die just for you. He died for the people sitting next to you. He died for the people at work. He wants to save literally everyone you know and everyone you will ever talk to. And that is amazing, and he's invited you to play a role in that. And that includes how you talk, how you act, how you live. Because that's the amazing, amazing power of the sacrifice of Jesus to save the whole world. So, uh, servers, if you would please go prepare to serve. And I'll be back up in just a few minutes to lead us in taking communion. So, when it comes by, hold it. Don't take it. If you need a reminder, it, the screen tells you to take it and hold it. See? Hold it, and we'll take it in a few minutes, so I'll be back in just a few.
All right, if you take your cup with the bread, and this is the representation of the body of Jesus broken for us. Not me, us. Let's take together. And the juice represents his blood poured out for you and me. Let's take together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for salvation. What a pure gift. We don't pay a penny for it. We can't be good enough to earn it. It is simply a gift by your grace and your mercy and your goodness. And I pray that we would understand that, we would appreciate that, and that that would be such a life-changing truth that it would fill us with such gratitude for the fact that though we know our worst deeds, our worst things we've ever done and said, that you would still love us and, and count us worth saving. I pray that it would fill us with gratitude so strong that we would want to be a part of your work and share the same good news and grace with other people. That we would be so encouraged that you would love us, that we would be excited to see and tell other people that you love them too. So let this not be a a stale little ritual that we go through every week, but let this be a true and pure reminder of your goodness and your grace in our lives, something that injects us with a fresh sense of purpose and motivation to carry out your will every week, to understand that there is a world of people out there that we interact with every day that need to hear the same grace and mercy that has transformed us and saved us. And I pray that This is something that launches us into the week to carry out your will, to share your love with them in how we act, in how we think, and in how we speak. Let us share Jesus every way possible as we leave here today. We pray all this in his good and holy name. Amen.